Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Language, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Malcolm Keating. Today we'll be talking to Bo Mu, editor of Philosophy of Language, Chinese Language, Chinese Philosophy, published as volume 37 in Brill's Philosophy of History and Culture series. So I am speaking today with Professor Bo Mu about his book with Brill, Chinese, excuse me, Philosophy of Language, Chinese Language, and Chinese Philosophy, published by uh, by Brill in 2018. So thank you, for Professor Mo, for, for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay. So what we usually start with is telling our listeners briefly how you came to be interested in the topic of this, of the book, um, in particular here, the Chinese language, Chinese philosophy, and philosophy of language more broadly. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's uh it's uh, the question the uh how you came to interested in the Chinese language Chinese philosophy language, but actually in my case the water is a uh, kind of the this uh philosophy and the classical Chinese philosophy and then contemporary philosophy in the mainstream tradition and then analytic philosophy and then worry on the philosophy of language. So let me very briefly uh highlight uh. My interest, uh, my interest in change. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, it's. Uh, I was born in the Beijing, the China. <clears throat> I recognize uh, in my, uh, the Beijing environment was its uh, distinct manifestation of the richness in Chinese culture and the humanity have recessively impacted on my outlook and the character in multiple connections and layers since my childhood. So. Uh, People sometimes say uh, each of the uh, people in the Chinese tradition is uh, partially Confucian and partially uh, Taoism, more or less, uh, to some extent. Yeah, I think that's true. So generally speaking, uh, you see there's uh, no religion uh, in China, in the Western sense in the Chinese tradition, but philosophy as a counterpart of religion regarding its uh, spiritual orientation and the social function. So I would like to say I, I have been uh, uh, influenced by the orientation of the pursuit shared by many ordinary people in the China, uh, which, just like I mentioned, is uh, Arab people more or less is a kind of the partially Confucian, partially uh, Taoism. So it can be summarized in a more reflective way in the Confucian slogan in the Chinese pronunciation, the Neisheng Wai Wang. Uh, it's, uh, it's roughly the mean each people try to uh, become the uh, uh, cultivate itself uh, inside uh, and also try to make the society and the environment better. Uh, and when I say it's uh, par- partially Confucian, partially uh, Taoism, I mean so this Confucian um, uh, slogan orientation is uh, uh, combined with uh, Taoist anti-toting uh, it's uh, excessive. 
So that that's a kind of background. So I would like to say is, uh, I uh, in the I since my childhood I was interested in the uh, philosophy. Uh, there's a uh, two other uh, special contributing uh, uh, element. For one thing, uh, uh, in my elementary school and the middle school, I grew up in the Beijing during the so-called the Cultural Revolution movement in China from 1966 through the 1976. Uh, 1966, I was in the elementary school. So during that time, as the Arab people, even for the student in the elementary elementary school and the middle school, uh, more or less involved the political, philosophical, surely the Marxist philosophy, the learning. So uh, uh, people from that uh, period are familiar. Arab people are required to read the five uh, classical texts of the Marxism. So that's also a contributing element. Uh, uh, is the uh, uh, my interest in the philosophy. Another contributing uh, element is my family, my father's uh, uh, influence. So that, that's a long story. I ignore that part. But anyway, uh, in the 1977, that's after 10 years of cultural revolution, revolution and uh, with the interruption of the uh, uh, regular, regular course of the higher education, 1977, there is the first national um, uh, education uh, entrance examination. So I was, uh, I was the first, uh, 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 I was one of the, these uh, college students after first term, after cultural revolution. So at that time I was majoring in the uh, mathematics, uh, minor in the computing science. And so in the, from 1978 to 1982, I, uh, after I graduated, uh, it's uh, for my college with a, a bachelor science degree in the science, minor in the computer science. I uh, changed my interest. I restart uh, focusing on uh, studying the philosophy. So that's how I, uh, with this uh, big picture, how my interest in uh, changing into the philosophy. And and then I spent one year uh, focusing on a various uh, subject in the philosophy, uh, taking their examination and also among others. The classical Chinese philosophy I think takes uh, one year, two semester uh, uh, courses on the uh, history of the Chinese philosophy. Uh, it's uh, taking all of the examination there, and then uh, I uh, uh, plan to take the national graduate study uh, examination in philosophy. So I'm facing uh, which subject I will focus on in the philosophy. So it's, uh, uh, I think with my background in the science and the mathematics, my interest in the, quite naturally, uh, is uh, to the subject, analytical philosophy, or contemporary philosophy in the mainstream uh, tradition uh, in the English-speaking country. So it's, uh, I, uh, uh, I went to the graduate study on um, focus on uh, analytic philosophy or contemporary philosophy in the mainstream as a graduate school of the Chinese Academy of the Social Sciences. Um, so that that's where my interest in the philosophy and the philosophy language combine. Uh, it's known as analytic, contemporary analytic philosophy is uh, largely overlap with uh, contemporary philosophy language. Uh, so there's a uh, where my interest in uh, uh, change into the 
philosophy language. Uh, surely, I uh, I'm interested in the language uh, per se. Uh, I spent five years uh, in learning the Russian language. Actually, that's a foreign language requirement in the middle school. Uh, I uh, five years. At that time, I uh, I know nothing about English. Uh, and then when I changed my interest into philosophy, first of all, I say I spent one year in a university in the, uh, in Beijing, uh, studying the type kind of the systematic study of the philosophy. At the same time, I uh, I'm studying the German language by myself. Um, uh, and then at the same time, uh, is that I began studying English. Oh, by the way, uh, surely uh, when I was a college student, our foreign language requirement is, uh, is English. I mean, after high school, yes. So at that time, is uh, I have some uh, uh, is uh, interested in the different kind of language. Uh, you see, my, uh, my 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 father kind of a scholar is my father studies full of the classical Chinese uh, text. There is a, a, a classical Chinese Chinese modern Chinese literature, philosophy, and uh, history. And uh, uh, at that time, I also have uh, uh, I learned uh, three different kinds of the foreign language. Uh, first, the Russian language, and then the English language, and uh, German. So in this way, you see quite naturally, my interest in the contemporary philosophy, and then analytical philosophy, and then the philosophy language. On the one hand, on the other hand, is, uh, I have some knowledge of different kinds of Kind of the natural languages, uh, but surely it's a uh, when I interest in language and also by language I also mean it's kind of the uh, two kind of the symbolic languages. Uh, yeah, for instance, the ancient uh, Yijing symbolic language in the Yijing text in the ancient uh, version. It's not strictly speaking not uh, one kind of natural language. It's the ancient Chinese symbolic language. People probably have some knowledge of the high strand and the yin yang divided line, undivided line. And then I also have uh, learned the modern uh, logic and the symbolic logic. So it's always all these kind of languages. Uh, so my interest in the philosophy language is uh, uh, combined. My yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. and, and that, that's great. <laughs> no, that's that's there's there's quite a lot there. It's really um, it's interesting how all of these different aspects have come together, uh, especially in it's sort of showcased in this book, because as you say, there's um, what we might call analytic philosophy, sort of mainstream analytic philosophy. There's Chinese philosophy in the sort of classical sense. Uh, and then you have also a discussion of the, the Chinese language and all three of these things are interwoven um, in, of course, in your own personal history and then in this edited volume. So let's let's turn to that now. The edited volume comes out of these um, International Society for Comparative Studies of Chinese and Western Philosophy and some projects that were focused on constructive engagement between, for instance, in particular, Donald Davidson and John Searle and Chinese philosophy. So there's two things that I think are important to get at before we dig into the text itself and the contributions. One is, what do you mean by constructive engagement and why is it important? And then second, why the focus on Donald Davidson and John Searle as interlocutors? So let's start with the first. What's constructive engagement? Uh, 
Yeah, uh, actually, uh, here uh, there are things at the three level and in the three connection from a general to the specific. When I talking about the consumer engagement, uh, first, first level, uh, more generally speaking, I mean the constructive engagement strategy as a general methodological uh, way in doing philosophy constructive or doing philosophy in cross tradition engaging way concerning any philosophical tradition. Uh, so that, uh, and then as far as the re representative philosophical tradition are concerned, specifically speaking, here we focus on the Western tradition and the Chinese tradition. So it's a methodological and the theoretical concern are general as uh, uh, it's general. Well, it's a specific study of the specific resources. We focus on the constructive engagement between the Western and the Chinese philosophy. Uh, here uh, we came to uh, just uh, uh, Macomb mentioned it's uh, the project of the International Society for Comparative Study of the Chinese Western Philosophy. Yeah, this is a uh, inter uh, it's a uh, international association. Uh, it's uh, his mission is uh, to carry on a constructive engagement um, uh, strategy. Uh, yeah, I, I will uh, say something about what is constructive engagement. Here I talk about the three levels, three connections. Uh, just like I mentioned that uh, one general, general speaking, specific speaking, general speaking is a general way of the doing philosophy. Specifically speaking, we focus on resources of the Western Chinese tradition. And as far as some specific subject of the philosophical is concerned, Specifically speaking, here we have the constructive engagement strategy as a general methodological strategy in doing philosophy language comparatively uh, concern, uh, concerning any philosophical relation. So uh, basically in the introduction to this value, I uh, suggest and explain uh, that the general idea of the constructive engagement strategy in the doing philosophy language comparatively. So yeah, uh, so in this way, uh, when I talk about the three level or in three connection, we talk about constructive, constructive uh, engagement strategy. So uh, in plain words, uh, briefly speaking, uh, constru constructive engagement strategy and the purpose of uh, in doing philosophy is something like this. It's um, uh, through the criticism, uh, including self-criticism and under guidance of the adequate methodological guiding principle is inquire into the how uh, different uh, approaches or different resources from a different uh, philosophical tradition uh, can talk to each other, learn from each other, and engage with each other, and then eventually make a joint contribution to the contemporary development of the philosophy on a range of the joint concern, the issue of the philosophical value and the philosophical significance. So it's a, a simply speaking, is something like this. Surely I, I, I need to make some note. By philosophical tradition, we understood in a broad way, uh, either distinguished culturally, in that sense, we talk about the uh, Western tradition, Chinese tradition, Indian tradition, I just named the three major philosophical traditions distinguished culturally. 
Uh, we also mean different style and orientation. So in that sense, we talk about the analytic approach and the continental approach. Traditionally, people take the analytic approach, continental approach as a local approaches within the Western tradition. We understand this analytic and the continental approach broadly is a cross-traditional way. Uh, in the Chinese tradition, uh, we also can identify the continental style of the doing philosophy. For example, as people know, it's a Taoist uh, uh, text, Dao De Jing, is a 5,000 word. Strictly speaking, is kind of the philosophical poem. You see, continental tradition try to use a poem language to deliver the idea. In the Chinese tradition, we have a analects as a Confucian way. Way is not an analytic uh, uh, philosophical essay. It's a kind of the dialogue. Uh, it's uh, often appear to make a diagrammatic claim, but actually, uh, you need to identify the uh, the underlying argumentation through the whole text. And in the in the in the case of the Dao De Jing, it's a continental style. Yeah. So uh, by the philosophical tradition, we understand it in a broader way, distinguished culturally and by orientation and the, and the style. And another important uh, turn is, uh, is the how the different tradition relevant resources from different tradition can make can talk to each other rather than just the passing by. Uh, talk to each other, engage with each other, and learn from each other, make strong contribution to what? To a range of the drawing concern issue in the philosophy or intellectual pursuit. By the drawing concern, people probably say, how can I tell? Uh, do you mean that Lao Tzu Zhuang using same language, talk about same thing? I don't mean that. So it's, uh, I mean, after through the appropriate, suitable philosophical interpretation, we can identify something underlying uh, deep behind the words in the text. So simply speaking, that's uh, 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 what I mean, constructive engagement. Uh, surely, uh, how to give the further systematic uh, explanation of such constructive engagement strategy, that's another issue. Actually, uh, probably that's a, uh, I answer your final, final question. Actually, I just uh, finished the monograph uh, uh, this month, actually for coming next month. It's, a, it's a my way to give the systematic account of the constructive engagement strategy. So it's entitled is a cross-position in philosophy. Uh, it's cross-position engagement in philosophy. Subtitle is uh, a constructive engagement account. So I take constructive strategy as a general type. So different author, different scholar probably give, give their different elaboration. So in this uh, monograph book, I give my uh, systematic, relatively systematic elaboration of the constructive engagement uh, strategy. Great. So, so, so constructive engagement oh. here. Um, then we can we can talk about your monograph just a little bit at the, at the end, but that's yeah. that's great that, that you're thinking about the the methodological that methodological implications here and and how to how to engage in uh, constructive engagement. In the contributions in, in this volume, you're looking in particular at philosophy of language, uh, the way in which thinking about the Chinese language and the English language as objects of study can be um, philosophically fruitful. 
So there's yeah. there's multiple levels. So maybe let's get into some of the contributions then to, to sort of showcase what is what these two uh, sorts of traditions, Chinese philosophy and um, Anglophone analytic philosophy can can do together. Yeah. So the book uh, the book is divided into a few sections, and in the first part of the book, we're looking at problems of reference, in particular related to the semantics of Chinese names. And there's a famous paradox in um, Chinese thought known as the white horse paradox. Uh, this is there's a lot of literature on this, and your volume includes um, two two papers about the paradox. So can you whoops excuse me? Can you um, tell listeners what the paradox is, and tell them what it tells us mm -hmm. about the Chinese language and about language more broadly? Before answer that question, I uh, probably it's uh, it's good to present the three uh, friends of this uh, volume focus on, and then in that background we we move on to this uh, specific question about the white horse paradox very briefly. Yeah, there is a three uh, friends. The first friend is uh, how it's uh, you see it's uh, when we uh, talk about the philosophy language. Uh, you uh, typically here is. Uh, People based on the feature of the English language, uh, it's uh, by it, all these conclusions are considered to be the general for all kind of the natural language. So uh, 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 that this somehow related to the white horse uh, uh, parallel case. Okay, but actually there is a, some uh, distinct feature of the Chinese language. Uh, it's uh, uh, not. Uh, fully was mostly explained by the current sources in contemporary philosophy, which are based on the feature of the English language. That, so that's one front. We focus on uh, some uh, distinct, uh, distinctive features of the Chinese language. Uh, another front with its uh, um, Chinese philosophy have uh, their uh, rich sources about the language, about the relationship of language, uh, sort, and the world. So that's second front. Third friend is uh, we what in, uh, in, in so doing we also think about how the uh, uh, resources in the contemporary Western philosophy can help in interpret uh, resources uh, concerning the Chinese language and the Chinese philosophy uh, to uh, help our understanding and treatment through the philosophical interpretation uh, of these resources in the Chinese. The Chinese uh, language and the Chinese tradition. Now we move on to the uh, white horse paradox. Uh, yeah, usually uh, uh, it's uh, uh, this uh, white horse. Uh, so right now is the white horse paradox. Uh, is put forward by Feng Shenlong in his uh, famous uh, essay, Bai Ma Lun. So uh, literally translate could be translated into the white horse discourse. Were on white horse. Kun uh, Shenlong himself uh, did not use the term paradox. So paradox is uh, in uh, is uh, added by some uh, contemporary scholar uh, in their uh, interpretation. Actually, it's a controversial issue. Whether or not Kun uh, uh, Shenlong's white horse uh, white horse uh, discourse really present a uh, paradox was just a paradoxical appearance, but actually he presented a consistent uh, approaches without any uh, uh, paradox. Okay, um, it's a, uh, 
why is the white horse uh, argumentation is uh, linguistically and uh, philosophically interesting. So we can uh, I think uh, explain that issue in two connections. Yeah, for one thing, uh, linguistically speaking, that's uh, uh, is a uh, white horse uh, argumentation is uh, delivered in the classical uh, Chinese uh, language. So classical Chinese language has some uh, distinct uh, features. Uh, some of them pass on to the modern uh, Chinese language. For example, uh, we don't have an article. We don't have a definite in definite articles. Uh, we don't have a, a grammatical plural form. In the white horse argumentation, uh, so right now we translate into the modern uh, language is uh, uh, the white horse is horse, white horse is not horse, right? We adding the is there. But in the ancient Chinese, we don't have a counterpart of the to be there. So Gongzhenglong is just a white horse. If I give a literal translation, it's something like this. White horse, horse. White horse, not horse, right? It's a, it's a linguistically speaking, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, interesting. Uh, it's a, it's both some feature of the Chinese language and also indicating how is uh, predication is possible, how the reference is possible. Uh, surely it's a controversial. It's a Gong Sun read this uh, question philosophically. And uh, uh, surely if some people, uh, a, a layman on the street, just to make a claim, white horse, not horse, people, Taking or her as crazy, but Gong Sunlong make it philosophically. He uh, come up with uh, five different argumentation for the thesis: white horse is not horse. But actually, uh, if Gong Sunlong just say white horse not horse, is uh, people would <laughs> render him just uh, crazy. Uh, his point actually uh, is this: just uh, mentioned there are five different argumentation in his. Uh, in his essay, but actually, in my opinion, the second one is the uh, most important. It provides a fundamental rationale underlying all these five uh, arguments. Uh, his point is something like this: Depend on what is the sort, you can say white horse is horse is identical to the horse, and you can also say white horse is not horse. So. Yeah, his point is a uh, is a uh, not say you can only just say white horse not horse, and then right now it's appear to be paradoxical because he say you can say both, but his important point as uh, I just highlight, uh, he say depend on what it's for. I think that's a key term. Uh, actually, when you look at his uh, uh, argumentation, he say uh, if you uh, if what is for is a uh, Common thing shared by the white horse is not horse. You should say white horse is horse. Well, the white horse is identical to the horse. But if what is sold is something distinct uh, possessed by white horse, but not by the horse, you should say white horse is not horse. So uh, you can say there is a, uh, there is a, uh, in my interpretation, there's a no genuine contradiction. That's a, uh, yeah, if you translate his on his uh, argumentation, translate his uh, sentence, 
into the complete statement. Actually, say the white horse is identical to the horse with regard to or relative to their shared common feature. But white horse is uh, not identical to the horse regarding or relative to something different. Some distinct feature possessed only by the white horse, but not by every member in the collection of the horse. So in this way, yeah, there's a no paradox, there are no contradiction. So it's a more philosophical interesting. Actually, uh, in my opinion, uh, much earlier than the uh, teach. Yeah, teach uh, is a, usually in the contemporary uh, logic, first guy to put forward the idea of the relative identity, right? Uh, in my opinion, Gong Sunlong is the first guy to put forward the idea of the relative identity. You see, in my just a very brief translation of the, uh, a paraphrase of the Gong Sunlong's point, you can see, yeah, he talk about the identity or not identity, yeah, relative to what you focus on, right? So I, uh, I think he's a, uh, he make a contribution uh, to our understanding of the relative identity. And uh, from that point, he also made contribution to the refined formulation or uh, refined understanding of the, what is the law of the identity and what is the principle of the non-contradiction. So, um, so let's, for the sake of time here, we've, we've covered, um, so this is Byung-Wook Yi. Yi is the, um, is the contributor for chapter one on the white horse yeah. paradox. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter uh, two, that is, you have a um, reply to and discussion of the double reference account on the same topic, the white horse, not horse thesis, which we were just talking about. Um, but then, um, so this, there's those two chapters on, on the white horse paradox. Chapters three and four move on from the white horse uh, discourse, as you're calling it, uh, not necessarily paradox, right? Which originated in the warring states period, which was around the third century BCE. Um, but of course, as you you know, there's a distinction between classical Chinese and modern uh, dialects or topolex, however you want to characterize them, Mandarin, Cantonese, Hokkien, and so on. Chapters three and four take up the discussion of language change over time, as well as diversification of language uh, at a particular given time. And so this is Marshall Williams' contribution in chapter three, a comparative analysis of Chinese measure words, and then Jianghua Mei's intuitions or reasons, right? So what do these two contributions tell us when we're looking mm -hmm. at, um, at the Chinese mm -hmm. language? Uh, yeah. Uh, in, uh, in the first part, uh, yeah, as uh, uh, Michael summarized correctly, the first one, Professor Yi and then me focused on uh, white horse products. Actually, we've, uh, we've focused on, you can say, it's a deep semantic syntactic structure of the Chinese name. And um, uh, in contrast, in the third chapter three and the chapter four, appear to focus on uh, uh, superficial, grammatical, and uh, uh, level the change, and uh, it's uh, 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 it's uh, uh, Marshall Wilman, uh, 
uh, aim at uh, analyzing the Chinese noun phrase involving the major words from an evolutionary perspective. So eventually, his conclusion is uh, is uh, 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 is uh, Chinese major words. Uh, major words that mean uh, just like the English term a cup of the water, a cup of <laughs> something like this. Uh, in the English is uh, seldom, not so uh, uh, often. But in the Chinese, uh, in the case of the uh, in the chi modern Chinese case, it's widely. You cannot directly add one, two, three in directly in, in, on in front of the uh, common line. You need to add measure words. Yeah. Uh, uh, Marshall's conclusion actually from a evolutionary point of view, he looked at the grammatical change. Eventually, his point is. Uh, uh, is uh, human beings throughout the world share the more or less the same physical uh, panoply of the neurobiological mechanism for expressing and increasing the sentence they used to communicate. Uh, yeah, I, I, I share with a similar sentiment. Uh, so, uh, but actually, his point in the, uh, with our concern with the deep semantic syntax structure is uh, consistent. But eventually, uh, based on his uh, 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 look at the development of the from a evol evolutionary perspective, and the people, the natural language become uh, more and more close, similar. Uh, I think there's uh, no wonder for two reasons. Yeah, for one thing, different uh, natural language is also my personal view. It uh, shares the deep semantic syntactic uh, structure. So there's a, no wonder there's a, a natural language, a superficial apparent uh, linguistic expression that becomes a, a flow. Uh, we can consider the distinction between the classical Chinese and the modern Chinese. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, in, my, in my view, the modern Chinese and the classical Chinese, there are some um, differences. Uh, I mean the written language, but they share the same similar deep Semantic syntax structure. So right now you can say modern language is more and more like the, like the other natural language English. Uh, for example, I just mentioned in the ancient Chinese language we don't have the counterpart of the B, but in the modern Chinese uh, language, uh, uh, B either as identity identity sign or as a predicate is a classification is widely used. Uh, uh, so it's a it's a it's a quite natural because it shares the same deep semantic syntax structure. Another uh, reason I think is very simple. We, as a humans, we share the same similar internal psychological and uh, uh, structure, and we are facing the same world. Not where some people is in uh, on another planet, the uh, another group on the uh, uh, the other planet. We are share the same environment. We are on the same Earth, on the same planet. So these are uh, two major reasons. Uh, so there's no wonder for uh, Marshall's conclusion. And uh, chapter four is Tsinghua uh, Mei. I actually uh, look at this thing from an experimental philosophy. It's a recent uh, new movement uh, in contemporary philosophy. Now his point is, uh, uh, when people carried on uh, experimental philosophy uh, experiment, 
uh, to test people's uh, uh, intuitive understanding, we need to pay more attention to the reason behind their intuitive uh, intuition. I think that uh, uh, I also share this uh, sentiment. So the deep reason, uh, you, when you just look at the parent uh, intuition, for example, when he uh, tests, uh, the people's uh, in, uh, giving the cryptic and the fragrance uh, explanation. So when he, uh, when he tests the students, uh, say in Hong Kong University, uh, uh, how they react, uh, what's their reaction to the cryptic and the, and the fragrance approach. So re, uh, uh, based on the uh, in, uh, empirical philosophy of the test, uh, Hong Kong students is a favor, fragrance approach. Okay, typically in the uh, Rutgers, they favor the cryptic. Uh, I think the Jinghua uh, Mei's point is uh, this uh, apparent intuition seems to be so different. But, however, when you carry on, uh, when you design uh, experimental tests, when you focus on the reason behind the intuition, so you can find this uh, different reason fundamentally actually the complementary. So it also depends on how the questions are designed in a certain way. So if you design in a in a similar way, probably the two group students, their reason appear to be uh, very close, or their reason is not so different, uh, contradictory in the conflict, but complementary. So in this way, uh, in the first part, uh, as I say, the first two for directly for deep deep semantic syntax structure of the Chinese noun, the chapter three and the four. They are focused on uh, some uh, apparent uh, grammatical change and the people's intuitive understanding. But I think it's uh, 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 fundamentally they share the similar sentiment. There is a, yeah, people have a, uh, uh, diff uh, people in different uh, natural language communities they share the similar same deep semantic synthetic uh, structure. And but we have different manifestation. Uh, this um, different manifestation, I uh, philosophical interest, but this does not uh, go against. There is a similar same deep semantic syntax structure. Right. So the underlying underlying yeah. biological and sort of semantic structures are shared, um, yeah. and we can see that in fact by looking at different languages, looking at languages over time, diversity yeah. at, at a time. Right. So, so then um, let's let's move forward to part two, which is cross-contextual meaning and understanding. And in this section of the book, you have two contributions: um, one by A. P. Martinich on communicative meaning and meaning as significance, and another one by Una Stonjnik and Ernie Lapore on semantics and what is said. And in this part of the book, you're it's really sort of broadening out and thinking about philosophical problems of meaning and understanding from an analytic philosophical approach. Mm -hmm. Here, um, one problem that faces us, you might think, in both in ordinary life and in this kind of cross-cultural project is how we can understand the meaning of other speakers or, or other texts, especially when they're, they're coming from different backgrounds. So that's one of the, one of the issues that's brought up. And another um, is the, this idea that well, the term meaning itself is polysemous. So when we're trying to figure out meaning and do philosophical analysis of meaning, we have to understand, well, what, what do we mean by meaning? Like to fix, fix that sense. 
Um, so that broadly, as I understand it, is the the topic of these two chapters. Can you dig us a little deeper into into what's going on in these two chapters? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I have a footnote on this part. Uh, yeah, for instance, why I reached the part three after part one? Uh, because I think uh, the point in the part one, drawing sword, can provide some uh, rationale or understanding uh, is a, a point to uh, uh, provide some uh, relevant resources uh, for understanding and the treatment of the issue raised in the part two. Uh, that's my first note. Uh, another note, actually uh, different from uh, all of the other contributor in the other part. This is the only part and uh, two contributor, uh, just three contributors. Uh, uh, for instance, they are not directly talking about the Chinese language. For another thing, they're generally speaking is uh, 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 it's, uh, uh, they do not have the working knowledge of the Chinese language. But why I include it? Uh, just because uh, there is uh, for two, uh, two considerations. Yeah, for instance, the issue per se, because, because they talk, talk about the, uh, uh, the issue is uh, <clears throat> cross-contextual meaning understanding. Yeah. Cross contextual is uh, is uh, just a general term. Uh, it can cover the cross tradition. Here we talk about the different tradition, different language. Cross uh, contextual uh, is uh, is uh, this topic is especially relevant, interesting to the thing of this value. We talk about the cross tradition, uh, tradition in the philosophy language. Uh, is uh, is especially uh, relevant here, cross contextual and cross relation essentially mean the same. So these uh, two uh, these contributors' uh, uh, points are directly relevant to the thing of this uh, uh, this value. Uh, for another note is uh, why I is uh, invite uh, uh, Professor Martini and uh, Professor Hong to. Uh, contribute to this value because uh, there are two active participants in the mainstream analytic relation, participating in the, uh, our range of the construct, constructive engagement uh, project concerning the Western philosophy and the Chinese philosophy. Um, there's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, the, uh, uh, philosophically, philosophically speaking, they are especially, uh, I was, uh, uh, special interest in this constructive engagement between the Chinese philosophy, Western philosophy, um, and uh, uh, and their points is are directly relevant to uh, the scene of this value. By the way, I uh, uh, Professor uh, Martinez uh, uh, widely used the uh, anthology source book, Western language. Uh, is uh, he's the first edition? I think it's nineteen eighty five. Uh, at that time, I was still working in the philosophy language, uh, philosophy, uh, philo uh, Institute of Philosophy, uh, Chinese, Chinese Social Sciences. Uh, I organized, uh, 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 coordinated the translation of this book into the Chinese. Uh, 
uh, right now, this I will write in multiple editions. So we, when we translate this book, it's uh, about uh, almost 30 years ago. Uh, and then it's a public, Chinese version of that book published in 1990. So it's a professor, uh, Martin, uh, participating uh, almost all of our project. He's uh, especially interested in, uh, especially interested in this, uh, uh, it's a, uh, uh, Project concerning the language, because uh, we uh, our project is not just limited to the philosophy language. It also covers other subjects. Actually, that's re related to the previous question: why we are interested in the Davidson, the John Cell. Yeah, uh, I just briefly mentioned because it's a uh, two thinkers. Their uh, philosophy, their uh, foreign thing, they have the major work in the philosophy language, and also their philosophical interest is extensive, not limited to philosophy language. They consciously apply their resources in the philosophy language to resolve the uh, question, the issue in the other subject of philosophy language. So that's just uh, quite a feed is uh, uh, a lot of the scholar in the Chinese commu uh, philosophical community. So they think uh, uh, when they read uh, Davidson, the chancellor's uh, work, they feel the home because they are not just uh, uh, the, uh, they, they take out the larger uh, philosophical concern, not just uh, focus on a technical <laughs> dimension of the philosophical language. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, 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 yeah, that, that's, I think that's the one reason why we take the, uh, yeah, it's uh, Davidson philosophy, Chinese philosophy, and the Johnson philosophy. Yeah, and we see that in, and so moving on to part three, where there's an exploration of two major themes in Donald Davidson's work that have been taken up by people thinking about Chinese people and, uh, sorry, thinking about Chinese philosophy and people um, working uh, in, in Chinese philosophy. So we have uh, A.C. Graham uh, thinking about conceptual schemes and linguistic relativism in relation to Chinese. And then a response by uh, Yong Ming Feng, please help me with the pronunciation there, AC Graham's Sinologist Criticism and the Myth of Prelogical Thinking. And then you engage in a, in a response to the two of them here. So um, why don't you if, you, if you can for us, tell us what's going on here with the principle of charity and this idea of conceptual schemes and why is this relevant to doing Chinese and comparative philosophy? Yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, Davidson is, uh, 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 is, uh, is a seminar uh, essay on the very idea of contemporary skin. Uh, it's a render by many uh, people in the Chinese philosophical, uh, uh, philosophical render is uh, very relevant because uh, Davidson, the basic point is, uh, you see, is uh, he rejects the radical uh, relativism. Uh, he rejects the very idea of the conceptual scheme. Uh, the, the, the scholar in the uh, Chinese philosophy uh, is in the study of Chinese philosophy, not limited to the uh, native Chinese speaker, and also including the, we just mentioned the Grand Han is, uh, we, we all know is, uh, 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 is uh, uh, actually he's a British uh, philosopher, but he's an expert in the Chinese philosophy. Uh, he's a, uh, uh, reaction is uh, negative. Actually, he thinks that Davidson is wrong. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, the point that Davidson's idea uh, is uh, not less, uh, uh, I mean, 
very people agree with uh, Davidson. But uh, uh, the charm of the Davidson philosophy is uh, is is uh, is uh, uh, in uh, is a stimulate people the soul and uh, think about the further and the deeply. So uh, actually, Graham thing he put forward some counter example uh, to the Davidson the. Uh, uh, conclusion. There's a no conceptual thing. He say, uh, yeah, the we uh, the Chinese language uh, illustrate different conceptual thing. For example, we just use a simple example. Uh, in the uh, in the English term, the shape, right? Uh, it, it's a uh, it's a cover. Uh, it's a uh, both. Actually, uh, in the Chinese, we use a different kind of the. Uh, Different term to refer to what shape covered. Yeah, as a professor Yu Mingfeng pointed out, uh, he said we, we have a lot of different terms. For example, in the in the Chinese terms, is uh, in the English term, uncle is a correspondent to the uncle in the mother side and the father side, right? Uh, because the Chinese language reflects there is a refined understanding of the human relationship. Uh, but uh, actually, it's a uh, 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 reject and uh, engage with uh, Granham. He uh, he disagree. Uh, he explains that what's the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. Go ahead. How does he disagree with this idea? That so Graham is pointing out. Well, look in in English, this sort of concept of of uncle is not as uh, refined as in yeah. Chinese, where you have this very uh, fine-grained conception of family relations. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so how does uh, uh, Fengzi respond? Right, right, right. Uh, Fengzi re uh, response basically is uh, uh, say, uh, we are facing the same world. We're talking about the same object. And then we have a different perspective, just like the take a picture. People take the picture from a different angle, from a different perspective. And then resulting different uh, picture, right? Uh, uh, but however, that does not show we talking about a different thing. We are still talking about the same object, but we talk about same object differently from a different perspective. That does not mean we talk about a different object. Uh, uh, the grand plan actually using the uh, uh, it's a counter example in the Chinese, uh, in, uh, in, uh, intending to show uh, we have a different conceptual scheme resulting different world. Uh, but point, what is at issue is, uh, uh, yeah, we agree there is a different, yeah, uh, different perspective, different picture. But however, whether or not that's different leading to the different uh, world as a metaphysical level. Uh, actually, uh, uh, in that connection, I share uh, the sentiment with uh, Professor Feng, but I using the, my what I call the double reference account. Uh, I think I can deliver the same point uh, clearly. Uh, yeah, we uh, when we make a reference, we always uh, at the same time talking about the reference as a whole, and at the same time we focus on uh, some specific part. So when we move on to the uh, uh, the, uh, what is the issue here is something like this. Uh, I think this, uh, I think is uh, Professor Feng 
share the same line, but I'm using the double reference account to deliver the same point. Okay, we uh, we talk about the same object, but we uh, we talk about same object differently with a different focus. Okay, here we focus on a, a shape. Okay, uh, in the Chinese in the Chinese system, we uh, uh, for uh, however we focus on uh, uh, when we focus on one specific character feature shared by some subgroup of the larger group. So we're using the different Chinese term to name that subgroup of the shape. Another group probably uh, is uh, uh, talk about same object, but differently from a different perspective, focusing on uh, some distinct feature of the shape. And then they use uh, another uh, Chinese uh, term to label that feature. But however, in so doing that, does not mean that the resulting the, the different uh, different shape. We we are just talking about the same group shape, and then we focus on a different aspect, and then make a further sub classification. Uh, I think uh, it's a big point is this. Davidson actually emphasized people. Uh, 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 Davidson recognized there is a lot of the different, uh, especially when we travel to the new place, the new country, and then we come across some uh, distinct uh, things. And then uh, usually we try to exactly that difference uh, is, uh, and then forgot there is still some fundamental underlying agreement. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, I, in, in my editorial remarks uh, after this debate between the Graham and the, and the Professor Fong, uh, I elaborate the depth in the point. Uh, I think that, in my opinion, the Graham have some understanding of the depth in the point. Uh, but however, I present the two scholars' uh, presentation as a whole, so it's, uh, other reader can make their judgment. Right, right, and so we'll invite invite the listeners to maybe dig in and, and give give it a shot, see what they what they think. Uh, so yeah. let's let's uh, let's continue on then to this part four, and here we're looking at semantic truth and pluralist approaches in Chinese context. And so in part four, we're focusing on the status of truth, which is another important topic in philosophy of language. So in this section, chapters uh, nine and ten in the book, what we're we're looking at uh, is, is Wang Chong, um, and we're we're looking at his contribution from the Eastern Han Dynasty, somewhere around twenty five to one hundred Common Era, and the what's at issue is a controversy about whether the theory of truth it is one theory of truth that is common now, which is the correspondence theory that. Sentences are true because they correspond to something extra linguistic, something in the world. Whether that's a theory of truth that classical Chinese philosophers held, like Wang Chong, and so can you maybe tell us then why people have a differing understandings of Wang Chong's approaches to mm-hmm. truth? Uh, this is mm-hmm. Alexis McLeod's chapter nine and uh, Lehos mm-hmm. Bronze chapter ten. Yeah. Uh- let me uh, first briefly introduce the background of the debate. Uh, I, 
actually, uh, I would like to say this uh, debate, uh, uh, including in, uh, included in this uh, uh, value, is kind of the internal controls between those scholars who agree there is a serious semantic truth concern in the Chinese philosophy in view of the nature of the current value. But actually, when I say there's the internal and the external controversy, by external uh, controversy, I mean some people just uh, deny there is a semantic truth, uh, or there is a significant semantic truth in the Chinese philosophy, such as uh, Chad Hansen, people already know this scholar. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's a, uh, 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 there is a, a substantial and a significant debate, this kind of debate, whether or not there is a semantic truth, truth uh, or just a pragmatic truth. That's a big debate. I have a, actually a large here, I, probably later on I will say something. I uh, have the monograph book just published last year, give the systematic explanation of the whole debate, not just the internal mm -hmm. debate. Yeah. I will say um, something more about that. Okay, this debate uh, does does not include those uh, well-known scholars, essays uh, uh, such as Chad Hansen and uh, Roger Amos. Uh, it's uh, but just including these our uh, people uh, who think uh, there is semantic truth concern and a significant semantic truth concern within the Chinese philosophy. So now, uh, what is uh, as uh, as issue among uh, this uh, actually it's three scholar. You see, it's a uh, uh, it's a two chapter and my uh, extensive uh, editor's uh, remarks. We have different uh, different view, right? So, what is the uh, controversy is is here? Uh, giving the semantic truth concern uh, as uh, presented in the uh, Wang Chong, uh, we mentioned that. Uh, yeah, I, actually. This debate is uh, starting from uh, uh, McDeon's uh, article uh, published in the Comparative Philosophy. He gives a kind of the, uh, is, uh, is a pluralist uh, account of the Wang Chong's uh, concern. But basically, he thinks there is a, there's a semantic concern, but there's a other concern. He thinks that Wang Chong come up with a pluralist account, uh, which can render philosophically interesting. Uh, which uh, combines semantic tr uh, truth concern, but other uh, concern. The semantic truth concern is not rooted; is not most fundamental. And and then the other uh, is a uh, uh, scholar is uh, uh, let me see, it's, uh, uh, yeah, bronze, yeah, uh, bronze uh, degree. Yeah, he gives different interpretation. I also give the uh, different uh, interpretation. Uh, different form, forms, but basically, uh, in a simple words, uh, this kind of internal con controversy between those scholars who agree there is a series of semantic truth concern in the Chinese philosophy. But how to understand the status and the function of this semantic truth concern? Uh, whether or not this semantic truth concern is uh, located as a base level, and uh, or just a kind of the parallel with the other things. And then make John contribution. This, this is what it what is at issue. My own view is uh, is something like this. Uh, people's pre-theoretical understanding of the truth as a way of the things are capturing is uh, located uh, at the base level. It's a constitutional norm, uh, norm normative basis 
uh, and the philosophical concern with the truth uh, should be considered to be carried on uh, uh, on this basis. But there's uh, another big story. I explain the, uh, my approach in a separate monograph book. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is uh, 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 this is uh, uh, controversy regarding the semantic truth, the stature and the function and the semantic truth concerning Chinese philosophy. The question is uh, why I do not include, for example, Chad Hansen and Roger Amos. Uh, there is an external uh, uh, controversy uh, because here's go with uh, uh, presupposition. This is the value of the uh, philosophy language. We talk about the truth, we talk about the semantic truth. This semantic truth is, truth and the reference are two basic, uh, no, a basic semantic notion in the philosophy language. Uh, so I think, yeah, that, that basically, uh, there, uh, there's another uh, uh, scenario context we carried on a uh, uh, debate on, uh, on uh, uh, truth, semantic truth or pragmatic uh, truth. Uh, by the way, they, they are using the pragmatic truth, not the, in, in the sense people use uh, talking about the pragmatic uh, uh, in the other language, yeah. right? So, 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 so they don't mean pragmatics in the sense of, for example, the study of how we do things with words, um, uh, metaphors, figurative speech, or things like that. They mean. Uh, I I would say, uh, is related, but is not motivated by the philosophy. Uh, is uh, 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 let me put it this way. Uh, when we uh, talk about a philosophical concern with the truth, uh, we have a different project depending on uh, which aspect, which dimension of the philosophical concern with the truth are talking about. Yeah, we have a kind of the metaphysical project concerning the nature of the truth. We have a epistemological uh, project concerning the probable truth, uh, concerning the criterion and the mean by which uh, how to uh, how to achieve the probable truth. And we have a linguistic project in, uh, concerning the, how to use a truth predicate. So uh, in, in this project, we also talk about uh, how people use the truth predicate. Uh, but, but however, in the, uh, in the debate on the truth in the uh, study of the Chinese philosophy, uh, people are is, uh, from uh, some uh, more substantial point of view to talk about the pragmatic approach to the truth. Uh, it's related, but primarily not from uh, the pragmatic, uh, uh, from a philosophy language point of view. Yeah. That, that, that's, uh, uh, I have one chapter in the, uh, I, I mentioned the monograph book to analyze the debate of this, uh, uh, Roger Amor's approach, Chad Hansen's approach, uh, where their point of view are located. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so in this section of the the volume, we're looking at the question of truth, and in um, uh, the Chinese context here, that uh, Alexis McLeod and um, and and you and the others are are looking at. Um, we're looking at she, right? She, she. Uh, uh, as, uh, which part? So, um, so the term for truth is 
she oh. she <laughs> uh, so uh, oh you S-H-I. mean chapter 9 chapter 10 yeah chapter 9 and chapter 10 chapter 10 okay yeah so she and fei uh, right? you are mentioning some chinese term chinese yes. original character those those are the terms oh, correct shi, right? oh okay shi, yeah uh literal translation of the shi just uh, is a fact reality yeah so it's a uh, uh, is a when uh, Wang Chong, uh, the Chinese uh, Han, uh, classical Chinese philosopher in the Confucian tradition, talk about the Shi, Shi, uh, appear to to be the is a kind of the uh, is a correspondent uh, approach. Oh, by the way, um, uh, in this value uh, and uh, in my uh, introduction. I distinguish the people's practical, the way of things are capturing, understanding the truth, uh, distinguish this from a correspondence approach. I take the correspondence uh, approach as a theoretical elaboration of the people's practical understanding of the truth, but not exactly the same. So when I talk about the semantic truth approach, uh, generally speaking, I avoid uh, characterizing these uh, semantic truths in terms of the correspondence uh, because there is uh, some other way than correspondence to capture reasons are. Uh, I, uh, in some section, I explain uh, this point in that monograph book about the semantic truths approaches in the Chinese philosophy. For example, we talk about the uh, uh, for example, uh, easy example. Uh, in that monograph book, I use a Chinese landscape picture on the cover of that book. So it, it's obvious it's not a kind of the correspondent uh, uh, way to capture where things are. Yeah, it's, uh, especially in the Chinese uh, landscaping uh, picture, they often use some very brief uh, stroke and uh, highlight something, so you can find that it's a kind of realist uh, one-to-one correspondence. But it's uh, still one way to capture where things are. Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that use this example to illustrate why I think is uh, I avoid uh, using the correspondent uh, theory or correspondent approach uh, to highlight truth concern. Yeah, it's a semantic truth concern. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in so in this section, then we're part four was thinking about semantic truth, and one of the things that was at, at issue was the it was sure and fei and how we understand these concepts in the Chinese language and Chinese philosophy in relationship to things like semantic truth, correspondence theory, and so on. In part five, there are some other. Uh, key concepts expressed in the Chinese language like Xing in Confucius um, and Heideggerian nothingness or openness, as well as a lot of the um, the sort of linguistic plays in uh, the Zhuangzi. So um, in chapter, excuse me, in part five, the speakable and unspeakable in Chinese texts, engaging exploration, this is part three, we have again three sections one is your editorial response. Uh, chapter 11 and 12 precede that, and we have Shanglong Zheng 
from the ineffable to the poetic, which is still looking at Heidegger and Confucius on poetry expression of language. And then Jiaohua Chu, how non-speech becomes a form of speech, a reinterpretation of the debate at the dam over the Hao River, which is, of course, from the Zhuangzi. Uh, let's talk about these briefly. So, of course, one is Heidegger and Confucius. The other one is looking at Zhuangzi. Um, how do each of these papers make connections between these different traditions? Um, and what are they trying to, um, what do they think these thinkers are saying about the expressive capacities and limitations of language? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, that's a good question. <clears throat> uh, actually, uh, in this part, uh, yeah, generally speaking, the whole value appear to be analytic uh, uh, oriented. And because we only focus on Davison, John Searle, and uh, and uh, you see those uh, philosophers like uh, Martinique, Li Tong, all those philosophers. So in this part, actually, we uh, we resort to the uh, continental resources in two senses. Uh, both in the narrow sense, as uh, uh, some uh, approach within the Western tradition, we talk about uh, uh, Heidegger, right? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, by the different philosophical tradition, we understood it in a broad way. Also, it covers uh, by different style and orientation. In that sense, uh, to that extent, uh, a continental approach is also manifested uh, in the classical Chinese philosophy. Uh, Chinese philosophy. So here, uh, actually, we are, uh, in this part, we address the three uh, major figures in the <clears throat> classical Chinese philosophy, Chinese philosophy. The first, the Confucius, uh, in the Professor Zhang Xianlong's article, and then in the, in the Chu Zhaohua's, Professor Chu Zhaohua's article, uh, addressing the Zhuangzi. And then in my uh, uh, editor's uh, remark, I uh, addressing the laws, I focused on the open statement of the Dao De Jing. So that's a uh, well known is uh, the Dao that can be talked. It's not genuine Dao, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in this, in 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 in, uh, in that sense, we uh, in this part, especially, uh, especially we address the uh, resources of the continental approaches, uh, both in his narrow sense in the first part tradition statement. So uh, yeah, in uh, in this part, I think. There is a kind of the intrinsic connection between this part and the previous part on the, on the truth. Actually, uh, at the end of the, my uh, uh, remarks on the part four, uh, when I clarify the distinction between the uh, uh, correspondent and the semantic uh, and the people's uh, perspective uh, within the R, have to understand truth. I already <laughs> in the in the address one point. Uh, but capital reasons are is not limited to the traditionally understood correspondence as a one to one. It's also it's uh, including the other way, uh, either in the holistic way, or in the Heidegger's way, or in the Confucian's way, in the Zhuangzi. Because uh, uh, as um, uh, uh, Professor Zhang and the Professor uh, 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 whose article show, both Confucius and the Zhuangzi actually in their way to talk about this world. Yeah, this, uh, uh, they present their way to capture what things are. So, uh, so in, in, 
So in this way, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, when we addressing the relationship between the speakable and the unspeakable, and uh, uh, and uh, we need to at first uh, clarify what we mean by the speakable. speakable. Uh, yeah, probably we uh, uh, we still have some way to talk about, and uh, it's uh, so-called unspeakable. For example, the ultimate reality, the Tao as a whole. Also, it's uh, what we specifically talk about cannot exhaust the Tao as a whole. Uh, the, the, the point of this part basically is this. This actually is, uh, uh, is uh, we can still somehow talk about the world uh, using the resources in the, uh, this uh, continental philosopher like Heidegger, Confucius, Strongs, uh, and, 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 and Mao mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. So, so that brings us then to to the last section of the the book. Uh, so, in in some sense, we're kind of coming full circle here because this is coming back to the Chinese language, which we touched on in part one, uh, along with Chinese philosophy and philosophy of language. Because in this section, the book is taking up how Chinese language use in some early classical texts helps us approach important philosophical problems in philosophy of language. So in chapter 13, we have Yang Xiao's reading the Analects with Davidson, Mood, Force, and Communicative Practice in Early China. And then we have Metaphor and Comparative Focus by Kyle Takaki. Uh, And so let's touch on these two chapters. What lessons can philosophers thinking about language use learn from these these classical Chinese texts, in particular the Analects and the Dao De Jing? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> let me first uh, introduce some background or something shared by the, this chapter in the previous chapter. Uh, early on, I, highla- I highlight three fronts uh, of this uh, value take care of the things. Uh, one front is, uh, is uh, focused on some characteristic feature of the Chinese language. Second front is uh, some uh, relevant resources uh, about the language in the Chinese philosophy. The third one is uh, how is uh, contemporary resources in the contemporary Chinese philosophy can help uh, interpret uh, 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 some relevant resources in the Chinese philosophy. So uh, the chapter uh, five and this chapter uh, focus on um, later two friends. I just mentioned the three friends. First friend is about the Chinese language per se. A second one about some resources in the Chinese philosophy. And the third one is how the contemporary resources can help our understanding the uh, relevant view in the Chinese philosophy. So previous chapter in this chapter uh, focus on, uh, you see this uh, focus on uh, relevant uh, resources in uh, Confucius and the laws and the drones and the texts. So it's basically on the second front, how is the relevant resources in the Chinese philosophy concerning language can contribute to our understanding and treatment of the issue of the philosophy language. So this chapter is also share this uh, feature. They work on this front. It's, uh, it's uh, figure out how the relevant resources in the, in the Confucius analects and the Lao uh, Tzu Jing 
and contribute to our understanding uh, some issue in the philosophy uh, language. Um, and also, on the other hand, similar to the previous chapter, this chapter, they also want to use some uh, resources in the contemporary philosophy language to interpret uh, important point in the ancient thinkers' uh, text, Confucius and the Lao Tzu, Dao De Jing. For example, in the Xiaoyang's chapter, he uh, 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 he used uh, uh, he was involved in the debate between the Dummy and the Davidson, right? And then uh, he eventually sided uh, with the Davidson point, try to uh, uh, use the Davidson resources to interpret some relevant point uh, in the Confucian's analysis. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, in the last chapter, they try to use some of uh, the, uh, also talk about the Davidson, uh, John Searle, and uh, another uh, philosopher's uh, theory of the metaphors, and then use these uh, res uh, resources to help understand the relevant point in the Dao De Jing regarding the uh, metaphors. Um, <clears throat> And then I would like to emphasize one uh, uh, background thing. Uh, the question is, uh, you see, uh, in contrast to the previous chapter, you can see the previous chapter largely is a semantic oriented, right? Uh, it's a reference, a truth, and a, a cross-contextual understanding and, uh, and the meaning, uh, and uh, also it's a continental speakable and unspeakable. This, this one is, uh, is uh, uh, is uh, basically is a pragmatic uh, oriented, yeah. So I use the title is a language in the action, uh, but I try to avoid using the pragmatic because uh, the very term the pragmatic is uh, is uh, uh, is uh, completely misleading. But that, so that's why I use the language in action through the Chinese text. Um, I would like to that actually here uh, probably. Reader would raise a question because there is a uh, one basic debate about the relationship between the semantic and the pragmatic. Um, and uh, when uh, the question related to this value is uh, uh, when these two chapter um, on a pragmatic orientation in the Chinese text, uh, there's any any moral any lesson we can draw regarding the relationship between the pragmatic. And uh, and the semantic, uh, I think it's uh, 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 was all because this part I don't have my uh, editor's remarks. Uh, but anyway, I can uh, I can express uh, my uh, one of my general comments on these two chapters. Uh, I think there eventually was all they focus on the pragmatic uh, dimension of the language, but eventually that conclusion. Uh, is uh, uh, <clears throat> compatible and uh, uh, complementary uh, uh, to the semantic um, uh, focus on, uh, on the language. Uh, here is an example. <clears throat> when the, uh, for example, when the Xiaoyang is uh, addressing the debate between the Dummies and the, the Davison, eventually it is, uh, uh, the meaning is not exclusively determined by the interstitial convention, right? And the and the Davison so talk about the uh, yeah there is a, a strong pragmatic uh, uh, orientation. I mean in one connection. So it's the people some people 
uh, uh, thing is uh, it probably is a mysterious. Uh, what's the relationship between the semantic and the pragmatic Davidson philosophy? So I think it's uh, at that point uh, to understand the Davidson, we always need to, uh, based on uh, his talk on a pra uh, pragmatic, uh, on pragmatic, on his uh, basic uh, semantic foundation, because he's a his a semantic uh, uh, truth condition semantic it constitutes is the most fundamental basis. Uh, let me uh, put the point in a plain word. Okay, uh, given the uh, <clears throat> is a debate between the Dummett and Davidson, uh, Davidson still thinks we can people from a different tradition uh, is uh, from a different community. They share the fundamental underlying agreement. Uh, this uh, fundamental un underlying agreement, uh, for example, simply speaking, we are facing the same world. Yeah, we can talk about the same object differently. Uh, it's uh, when you talk about same object differently. Differently is uh, a lot of the pragmatic thing, right? But let's go with the preservation. We talk about the same object. Uh, the one of the major primary. Same object is the underlying agreement is the same environment, same world, natural world. Yeah, Davidson is a yeah is a there even given the debate between the Darwin and Davidson, they still uh, both sides agree we can talk about the same world. Yeah. The, the their debate is a uh, uh, on the on a use level based on the world we can reach that uh, certain meaning. But as far as a fundamental underlying agreement. In the, this this kind of the semantic foundation, so in this way, uh, to that extent, so I think it's uh, it, there's a, the, the semantic uh, is the discussion of the semantic dimension of the kind of context and the, and more generally speaking, uh, and the language, uh, they can be uh, uh, it's a fundamentally compatible and complementary to the semantic world. Right. Well. So, so this is a, a nice uh, point to wrap up. We've gone through quite a lot of material in this edited volume. Um, a lot of careful attention to the grammar of Chinese in the modern context, as well as the evolution of languages, attention to the language of Chinese in classical Chinese texts, the implications of that for philosophy of language, a lot of constructive engagement from a lot of different uh, directions, uh, Davidson, Searle, Heidegger, um, Confucius, Zhuangzi, qu quite a rich volume. So uh, listeners will, will need to pick this up themselves so they can, can dig into some of these essays and your, your editorial interventions. Let, let's conclude and just come back to, you'd briefly mentioned at the beginning that you have a new project occupying you, which is a focus on the, it sounded like the methodology of constructive engagement. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, so after the publication of this value uh, is in 1918. Uh, if only considering their completion and the publication timeline, there are three relevant monograph books with the final stages of the work have been occupied me. I, I actually. Uh, after the, this book, uh, uh, two two of them uh, have been already completed at this moment. Uh, one was uh, completed and published in nineteen uh, nineteen. Is uh, I just mentioned is uh, uh, it's uh, it's entitled the Semantic Truth Approaches in the Chinese Philosophy. 
So uh, <clears throat> uh, in that book is uh, I not just the picture of the some debate uh, concerning the Wang Chong. Wang Chong is one of the Confucian and not limited to the uh, 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 Confucian Confucianism. You see, is I also address the Confucian himself and the, and the Xunzi, but also cover the Yijing philosophy, Gongsu uh, Long's philosophy, uh, Moism, and the philosophical Taoism. So basically, the cover all the, uh, in my opinion, representative approaches, also partially including the Buddhism. When I when I uh, talking about this uh, relationship between the Zhuangzi approach and the and the Jizang the double truth account, uh, account in the Buddhism, so basically is a uh, cover all these uh, semantic truth approaches in the Chinese philosophy, and then I suggest and argue for a general account of the truth. It's a uh, uh, label is a uh, unifying pluralist approach. Uh, just I mentioned in this book, there is a debate. Uh, among the three scholars, uh, <clears throat> Professor McLeon, Professor Browns, and, and me. <clears throat> uh, all our three think there is a, a weekend, uh, there is some kind of the pluralist approaches uh, in the Chinese philosophy, one of them is the semantic truth. The question is uh, whether or not this, uh, uh, when you talk about the pluralist, there's a different approaches. The, what is that issue is that whether or not these uh, different approaches could be unified by a uh, systematic consistent account. Uh, actually, uh, at this point, is uh, I just mentioned McLeon uh, have uh, uh, their view is uh, quite similar to uh, uh, I think he's uh, when he pursued PhD in the Connecticut, his uh, teacher is uh, uh, Lynch, right? And David uh, Lynch was yeah, he's uh, uh, put forward a kind of the uh, function is the count. It's kind of pluralist account. Uh, it's uh, does not think there is a unifying basis. My view is that uh, there is a unifying basis. So that's why uh, I use uh, when I uh, in my editorial remarks, I uh, I present my my own paper as the first part, right? It's a rooted and the and the rootless. So I think it's uh, it's uh, McLeon's approach is a uh, rootless. Because there is a different pluralist, but there is no. My view is kind of rooted, uh, so that's why I use the term unifying. So, question is, what's a unifying foundation? In my view, is uh, people's uh, theoretical uh, reasons are capturing capturing understanding of the truth. So, this I take as a unifying normative basis. I take the all these semantic approaches, the kind of philosophies, as a different perspective. Elaboration of this basic people's pre-theoretic understanding of truth. Uh, so that's a yeah. That this one is already published last year. So that's a, uh, it's a, it's a more comprehensive and also it, uh, provide my own account of truth. I, but actually, uh, this book is a sister value to my 2009 uh, book. book is a substantive perspectivism. Uh, in that book, I uh, put forward an earlier line of this account of the truth, but in the different uh, context. That's it's uh, in view of the debate between the deflationism and the substantive. But this uh, two book, right, actually is a assistant, a, a, a sister's monograph. That one in the debate of the deflationism contemporary. 
subjectivism, but this one in view of the semantic approaches of the Chinese philosophy. So in this way, uh, in my opinion, I suggest a unifying pluralist account to cover uh, different uh, uh, semantic tools approaches in different philosophical traditions. Uh, and, and then yeah. uh, the one that we have to look forward to coming out in 2020 is the one that we already talked about, which is the um, cross-tradition engagement in philosophy, the uh, constructive engagement account with Rutledge. That, that's the, and so that's the last one that you've been, been working on. Uh, yeah, right. There is, a, uh, I just mentioned the three. Yeah, yeah. The second one is a, is a further, uh, more systematic uh, explanation of the uh, range of the fundamental theoretical methodological issue in the constructive engagement. So such as the uh, issue of the normative basis, the issue of the incommensurability, the issue of the philosophical interpretation. So in, in this uh, second book monograph, uh, actually just, uh, I think it's uh, forthcoming this month or next month. Yeah, you, you can see. Uh, yeah, I give, uh, there's uh, two major parts. The first part is the theoretical foundation part. I give a uh, kind of the systematic explanation of this uh, range of the theoretical issue. You see, this issue is uh, more or less in the, uh, for example, in this value, is uh, on a philosophy language. I, uh, somehow it's uh, either just presuppose or just gives a brief, uh, just very uh, brief explanation or presuppose. Uh, so in this sense, this book is a further uh, elaboration of the fundamental methodological strategy uh, in this 2018 book. Uh, uh, the third one, actually, I start from next month. It's a, it's a, a monograph on uh, reference and citation. The subtitle is a double reference account. You see, in this book, uh, in my chapter two, I just give the basic line. But in, in that one, I will give um, Systematic account uh, engaging fragrant cryptic approach. So these are pretty much uh, three projects after this value. It's a yeah, each of them is a further elaboration at some point. Yeah, well, that's great. We'll have we'll have to look forward to to seeing more of your your work on the double reference, which we've mentioned throughout the interview, and then the forthcoming on the constructive engagement account. Thank you very much for all of your time today, Doctor Doctor Mo, and. Um, uh, all, all our best to you. All the best to you. Guys, uh, my, my, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you this opportunity to talk with you and, uh, and thank you for your time. Thank you.